This is the Be Remarkable podcast. I'm your host, Jen Balin. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And today I'm excited to welcome Joanna Milliken, the CEO of Amarsis. Welcome, Joanna. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much. So excited to be here with you today. Absolutely. And as you know, this podcast is about exploring extraordinary people. And and you are in that category, people that take a role and uh, there's a lot of ambiguity. You have to figure out how you're going to pioneer through it. It evolves every single month, every quarter, every year. And today we're talking about reshaping customer experience. So can you give us a high level view of your role? Sure, absolutely. So like you said, I'm CEO of Amarsis and Amarsis is an omni-channel engagement platform, right? And we're focused on time to value and business outcomes and really helping marketers achieve true personalization at scale. And so my role is just making sure that we can achieve those values for our customers and that we deliver that every day. And my career has really been built on all those things that you just talked about, which is starting a little bit from nothing, ambiguity, helping grow, helping find opportunities, whether it's within teams that we've built together across businesses, but most certainly for our customers and the retailers. So it all just goes together quite nicely. If you think about your background and just your journey overall, can you talk about that a bit to help us understand where you've been and then reconcile that with where you are today? Because it's quite an achievement. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, I guess, sometimes like this to reflect on some of that. It just all kind of glows in a blur, as they say. Um, but I started off in my early career as a marketing practitioner. So I had a lot of good foundation actually having to do the job. Um, and lead some digital transformations um, little eons ago, um, but nonetheless, digital transformations. And then I switched over into the technology side in the early 2000s, and that's where I've really stayed ever since. Um, I've helped customers implement. I've been working, I've worked in support, services, technology, sales. And so that broad spectrum, I think, has really proven to be an advantage. But I think the number one thing that's actually helped me all along the way has been that I've been very tightly attached to our customers. And whether it's at a strategic level or a hands-on level, just getting to know them, understanding the problems and the challenges and that kind of never-ending game we have in marketing. So, um, yeah, that's been a part of it, I would say. It's funny how just listening to your you talk, your background really helped you to propel into where you are today in helping customers with their own journeys. Because if you hadn't had the those experiences along the way, it would be very difficult to do what you're doing today with as much success as you're seeing. That's so right. I think the natural byproduct is the success. I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm competitive and ambitious and all those things, sure. But it, it was more about just that learning and that foundation of like really inherent understanding of the business that has given more of that credibility. Then as we bring on new folks into Amarsis and we have new people entering the roles of marketing, right, we can bring all that collective knowledge. So like I said, it's just really gone hand in hand together. But again, it starts with the customer. I love it. And I, I couldn't agree more. I also encourage most of my folks to spend time with customers because so many companies today build products and create roadmaps, both companies in our industry, in the technology industry, but also the customers that we speak to on a day-to-day -day basis. And sometimes they forget to actually go out and check in with their own market base and their customers to help them define from an outside-in approach what the future should look like and how they want to be connected. 
And Marsis recently carried out consumer research on about 2,000 U.S. shoppers. What did you find are people's preferred ways to shop in 2022? And how has the way that we as marketers influence people to make purchasing decisions evolved over time? And I'm going to extend this question a little bit because I know you and I have talked about this. The, the recent two to three years, I think, has been, I would call it the equivalent of dog years in just the dramatic change that has impacted many of the companies that you and I work with today. Yes. So, and if you look at that window of time relative to even the decade before that and the decade before that, there's just been an evolution of change. So as it relates to the research that you've done on U.S. shoppers specifically, what have you found? Yeah. Well, you're exactly right, right? The channel proliferation is real and it only increases, right? The places that we like to shop only increases. We found though that customers and consumers, right, still about 54%, I think the stat was, prefer in-store shopping. 24 or 20-ish percent then are moving more to shopping on their mobile device with the rest kind of a mix of laptop and other devices. So the mechanisms for shopping, right, and increasingly mobile but that doesn't necessarily mean that the retail physical store is going away. It's just one more channel. And so then what marketers, right, the perpetual problem that they've been trying to keep up with is that channel proliferation and then all the data that comes with it. So every time someone moves to purchase something on a mobile device and buys now because of TikTok, which I think was an equivalent of like 1% of all consumers now are buying something via TikTok and all these new channels, marketers then just have to keep up. But it is, it's just all those new channels. There's a lot more video at play, a lot more user-generated content we're learning. It's just perpetual change. And then, like you said, with the pandemic, it accelerated all of that. So companies that were definitely continuing to experiment with mobile apps and other channels and continuing to do that now had to accelerate that as they needed a mechanism to do click-to-collect and new ways of buying as people adjusted to the pandemic. So for a lot, it accelerated that need and just showed even more how adaptable right the marketer needs to be as well to keep up with all of those channels that as consumers just keep adding and adding to our mix that's fascinating especially hearing it from your voice since you've been in the industry a long time i think we've both been in the industry about a quarter of a century now which which feels like such a long time but a short time too they say sometimes the years feel like days and the days feel like years um something you just said triggered a thought. Um, I know that many of the people listening to this podcast may be in the retail industry, but also may not be. And I know you and I work with customers who are thinking uh, maybe they're a car manufacturer and they're thinking about how that buying experience will change. Maybe they're a financial services mm -hmm. company. Maybe they're in insurance claims management. Are you seeing some of the same, we'll call it buyer or maybe it's subscriber behavior across um, industries outside of retail? Yeah, absolutely. So there's certainly nuances, of course, to each industry that result in sort of different buying behavior, either because of the structures that the companies and marketers have put in place and then buyers and other ways are more restricted in like automobile industries or others. But the patterns, I think, for the consumer at the end, whether it's B2B or B2C or particular vertical travel, retail, auto manufacturing, we're looking at our phone, we're doing preliminary research, we're looking at reviews, we're looking at what our peers say, we're looking at more uh, virtual reality, right, and trying to try online before you buy, and all of those practices are really universal because those channels exist. I think just maybe different industries adopt at different paces, but I think the buyer journey is getting 
more and more similar in terms of just all the places that we as brands and companies have to have reach. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I think over time, often we tend to stay inside of an industry to look at best practices. And now more so than ever before, a marketer needs to look to the left and to the right and to understand what buyers are experiencing in other markets, because that's the new bar that's being set. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically the best from the collaboration of all of us, almost like a fine wine, right? That's right. That's right. And you can learn and pick up the best, the best from everyone. And so when we see customers, like we had Charlotte Tilbury is one of our customers, a retailer as an example, and they were one of the first, if not maybe the first to adopt and use I think it's called shop with friends on metaverse where people can go into their virtual store, but with friends and shop their products. So they're going to be front runners for things like that. And we know retail because of the buying power of consumers and how they can shape things at scale usually is, but there's certainly lessons there. And I'm sure automobile manufacturers are way ahead of it on metaverse and also artificial reality and things like that, that we can try, especially as supply chain. I know with auto is taking a long time and people want to get more interactive. So I think all of these practices, like you said, can be shared across industry and you get the opportunity to kind of pick and pack what's going to work for you. I love it. And you brought up the metaverse there, which I know there are a lot of folks trying to navigate what this word means. It reminds me eerily of 15 years ago when people were trying to navigate the cloud and what it meant. And was it really in the cloud? Was technology really in a cloud somewhere or was it um, underwater in a sea or, or where was it? Um, so when you think about the technologies that people are using today as they think to market differently, what should they be aware of? What does that new technology landscape look like? Yeah, well, again, it's that combination. And I think Meta and other similar forums, if you will, are here to stay. I think if we're already talking about it, at scale, it's already there and people need to just be there. And again, some industries or geographies are gonna be different to adopt some of these technologies, but I absolutely think that, especially for retail and others, it is gonna be a blended world. People are, whether they're playing virtual reality games or shopping in that way or moving into this environment, I think that that's here to stay and we need to start to embrace it but also do that experimentation. And I think these new channels every other week or so, right, is very much that challenge for our businesses and marketers because it's sometimes the opportunity cost of not being there before you see the opportunity cost really of, or the opportunity really of being there before you can really tie ROI to those channels and see it as a huge driver. So I think some of the jury's out on that on what this specific revenue that you'll generate. But I think right now brands are looking to find those places to experiment, make sure they're in the right places as the consumers go there. We had someone once a long time ago in my career is one of the early companies I worked with said, if if consumers use smoke signals, marketers will be in the smoke signal business. So it's really very much about whatever, whatever that place is where they're shopping and buying and engaging and especially the upcoming generations the marketers need to be preparing for that and businesses. It's interesting your comment about the smoke signals. There's a woman that I know in the industry who happens to be just an amazing marketer. And she shared with me early on, she said, you know, I understand things like, I understand when the flu season is going to happen because you see certain soup brands putting their soup on the end caps. And I understand when this is going to happen because I see this and marketing is really the group that we should be looking to to understand what the future is going to look like. And so I agree with some of your sentiment there. 
you have, Joanna, the ability just with the credibility that you have in the industry is, I would say, one of the best marketers out there to have a voice of credibility in speaking with some of the top marketing professionals in the entire world today. If you think about how they are adjusting to this rapid pace of change, what are some of those thoughts that you discuss with them in your conversations that you would give to this audience to be aware of? What technologies should they be thinking about? What are the best practices out there? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there, right? So those conversations range from all sorts of things. I think the one thing that I'm actually feeling over the past, especially kind of this two years, right, of kind of changing landscape, both just as humans, right, let alone as technology from the marketers is they were asked a lot during the pandemic, right? They had to react quickly, adopt a new mobile app, even if they'd already had that idea, but they had to do it overnight. All these things and the burden really fell to the marketers. And I felt like they were under a lot of pressure, a lot of strain, like many in the world. And the challenge and the need to have solutions that bring data together, that let you add on a new channel quickly, that let you meet all these expectations that the consumers have and your boss has for you of how you've got to get the job done. And I think now that problem is still very much there. But I also feel like maybe it just is with the rising tide, but there's an energy and marketers see an opportunity around this because there's technologies, right? The ones that we're clearly biased toward, but with the Marsis and these solutions that can help bring this together and help you solve these problems. The problem has always been the same. Bring the data together, get the content together, meet the customer in the right channel, analyze it, do it better, do it smarter, do it faster, all those things. And we have the, the tools to use them and, and to be able to achieve that, I mean. And I think that, that marketers are starting to see that and getting excited about it. So it's gone from, oh my God, more channels, right? To as we keep adding that and keeping up with that technology, the customers that we get to work with, they're like, all right, more channels. I have more reach. I have more opportunity. And they're starting to really seize that moment because they see a path to physically be able to do that with the technologies that they have that they're using today. So, so it's probably an opportunity, but then somewhat daunting at the same time because exactly, yeah, they're dealing with so much ambiguity. So if you think about commerce today and the way customers are buying, historically, there are people in the technology industry who talk to folks who service customers. They talk to folks who work to help customers buy through online transactions, so an e-commerce type experience. In my world, I am seeing the two start to combine. And so what I mean by that is, you wouldn't necessarily expect just a pure transactional commerce experience. You would expect to see personalization along the way. You would expect to have the ability to communicate with the brand along the way. Is this something that you're seeing as well across the industries and customers that you speak to? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we were talking earlier about mobile apps and that's sort of a simpler example to think about as well with commerce and transactions there. Those products were first very purpose-built to drive a transaction. The commerce site was to drive a purchase. An email was sent to drive a, an absolute specific transaction. And of course, our end game is to drive growth and all of that. But the value proposition along the way has to be there and they have to use that with personalization. So when people are shopping online, how are they behaving? So it's not a perfect linear journey, I think, as we know, as consumers ourselves. We might wake up in the morning and that's what our research showed, right? Is we all have a pretty bad habit of waking up in the morning and scrolling through something. And for some of us, it's shopping 
So there's a lot of that. Then stopping coming back on via your laptop, or maybe you now want to go into the store. And so that multi-channel experience is real. And that's why we focus on multi-channel orchestration and that omni-channel ability to meet the customer wherever they are. And it's funny too, because even though I'm in the industry, I don't say to myself, I'm going to go multi-channel now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Right. We don't just stop and do that, but it's just what we do. We We know how we behave. And oftentimes I think that as people who market to customers, it can be very helpful to maybe even write down what you do during a given weekend or a day in a shopping experience and see if your brand is mapping to your own behaviors and wishes. Well, and like you were saying at the beginning, right, doing so much more of that consumer research to truly understand. I mean, it's more like the micro moments that we see around us and like the big ahas. So to your point, I'm thinking about this with Omnichannel, I'm writing something about it. And in the middle of that, I get a, a text from my daughter 13 year old, major buying power and influence, right? And it's a video. And she says, I don't, I didn't want to text you because video is more fun. And she's giving me, which is what she also sends and posts to all of her friends, like a, here's my new sweatshirt, zipping it up, putting the hood on, it's so soft. And then posting that to all of her other 13 year old friends who now all want the same thing. And so marketers and businesses are also trying to harness that content, right? We know that our customers are our best marketers um, and making sure that we're connecting with that kind of next generation who's influencing each other outside of almost what the marketer is really doing. So it's a really fascinating time. It is fascinating because you're, you're talking about your teenage daughter. I have a teenage daughter, also she's 16 and her allowance money does get spent on clothes at this point in time. It really does. And it's interesting how many packages seem to to show up. Sometimes I scratch my head and go, huh, am I not seeing something that is coming across Apple Pay? But I asked her the same question the other day. I said, if you're trying to make a decision about two different pairs of jeans and they pretty much look the same and they probably fit the same and they're from two different brands, how do you make the decision, Sophie? And she said, oh, it's all based on what I see in my friend group, exactly what you said. And they are posting videos and they are influencing each other instantly. And so that next group of buyers and they're buyers now, but the next group of more influential buyers is coming in. I think that will shape all of us. Right. So So it's going to be a balance, right? The brands are going to always have a push. They're going to want to promote something. They're going to have a new drop that gets the 13 year olds posting their little videos. They come home and they spread out all their goods and they call it a haul and they video it and send it to each other and update Like all of that's going to happen and we can continue to push them. We also just need to continue to foster that and put the channels in place so we can promote that. We can bring those activities into our loyalty programs, right? And really start kind of connecting those dots and those influencers along with the work that we do as marketers. So again, it's like a great opportunity because they're creating the content for us. Yeah. So I've loved hearing your passion speaking today. I want to ask you a question that could straddle professional and personal. I've found that people that I've spoken to who are remarkable uh, tend to do a lot outside of their professional lives too. So a question I have for you is how are you changing the world? What's important to you? Um, Someone left that out of my prep as well. Um, How am I changing the world? Well, I think it does straddle personal and professional because they go together, right? So at this point, I think you've heard my life's work is to try to help the marketer. I just have always believed in the mission of trying to do better marketing, Um, not just marketing, right? But do less emails, better emails, things that we as consumers want. And I 
I'm just always interested in that behavior and that dynamic. And so my whole career has been devoted to that. And I hope that, I don't know, the companies and brands I've been able to work with over the years feel that and feel that through the products they've delivered and the teams that they work with. So I feel that way. And then I think on the personal front, that just comes to then the people, hopefully that careers I've helped inspire and put them in great places to just keep paying that good stuff forward. I just get a lot of good intrinsic reward out of like the job well done and the people around me, which is one of the things I love about SAP, by the way, is just like the globalness of it and how much we can connect and impact people. So anyway, that's a few thoughts, I guess, on that. I love that. And and I agree with you on both fronts. And I do see you doing just an incredible amount of work and helping all people achieve what they'd like to achieve. There, there are people like you in CEO roles who don't remember that you also have to give it back because I know you and I had a lot of people that helped us along the way. And we also know that there was a lot of personal perseverance required and navigation required. And it just wasn't always easy especially in a world where you're navigating in an industry that doesn't have that full recipe. There's no plan when you start work on a Monday or, or even a Saturday sometimes. There's no plan that says, Joanna, do your job this way. You wake up, you decide what you're going to focus on, you re- reprioritize like crazy. And I know that you're helping your customers and our customers to do that too. So just a huge thank you for investing the time here today. I know that It is such a delight and an honor to have your time because it's so busy. It's just packed. And so for us to be able to expose your thoughts to so many people out there really is exciting. So thanks for being remarkable. And it's it's good to have you here today. Right back at you. Thank you.